0: Hey guys, welcome to the Honest Youth pastor youtube channel the place where we help believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life today we are going to be doing that through a sermon review we're going to be looking at a uh, mark clark from bayside church in california in case you're new here what we do each week with these sermon reviews is we look at a variety of different pastors many of them sent in by you guys via dm comment or email and we take a look at them and we look at three specific things for all the sermons, one, do they read the scripture? Two, do they exegete that scripture using context and culture? And three, do they mention the gospel of Christ, sin, redemption, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, all of that that we're going to be talking about uh, or we should be talking about in church. Do they mention that? So today we're going to be looking at a sermon that Mark Clark preached uh, fairly recently. And if you want to watch this whole sermon without my commentary, the link for that will be in the description below along with another uh, a number of other links for helping out the page if you want to support us or just check out more of what we do those links will be down there as well to be uh, fully transparent have not watched very much of this sermon, got a little bit into it, had to stop. And I don't think, unfortunately, we're going to be able to get through the whole thing today because at the time of this recording, I've got some other things I have to do today. So we're going to get through as much as we can of this. But what I would encourage you to do, as I encourage you to do with all of the sermons, uh, watch the whole thing through because we're not going to get to all of it. We're going to get to the, the high points looking at the three things we're looking at. So with that being said... Let's go ahead and get into the sermon. He's going through Romans. If you've, uh, you can look at their playlist they have on their channel. Um, They've been working through Romans right now. They're gonna be at the end of Romans, or well, not the end of Romans, the end of Romans chapter eight is where we'll be, starting at verse 31. So let's go ahead and hop in and see what's going on, see what we can learn from this.
1: If you got a Bible, go to Romans chapter eight right now. If you got your notes, pull those out. We are gonna unpack something that is uh, pretty heavy, so we're going to do our best to kind of square it in reality. But what Paul talks about in Romans Shop 8 right at the end here is he talks about design, like he, he's kind of been going through a bunch of assurances through Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is like, it's very heavy. It talks about the sovereignty of God. It talks about the purpose of your life in the midst of life and what God's doing in the midst of and it. And it constantly gives us assurances of who God is, who we are, where our life's at, all that, which is really good. Let me just start out by saying it's really good because uh, life isn't really full of things that are assured. Right? Like we, when we wake up in the morning, there's not much that is assured. When we, uh, there, there are things in our life, I know in my life, like, like okay, you could wake up in the morning and be like, okay, what about my marriage? What about my job? Your job isn't assured. You could wake up tomorrow. Listen, guys, every time I preach, I'm like, I think I'm going to wake up Monday morning and Ray's going to go, you can't fill in the blanks, bro. You're fired. <laughs> like, Like, none of us have the assurance of a job tomorrow. Right?
0: So really quick, just as intro, we want to talk about that as well. So when you're getting in, we've talked about this before in almost every sermon review, the intro to a sermon is fairly important, right? Catching the attention. um, Everybody's aware of that. You want to make sure that you grab the audience's, um, their attention. What are we going to talk about? Why are we talking about it? So Romans, they're going through. He's noted where they're going to be. He's, He's summarized it up. Obviously, I mean, I think that there could, we're in Romans 8 which means you've you've covered a lot of ground up to this point. Romans being one of the more thick theological um, sort of treatises that we have in the New Testament as far as working out who God is, who we are, what that looks like. I mean, Paul's talked about the law up to this point. He's talked about uh, the old man, Adam, the new man, Christ. He's talked about uh, being heirs with Christ. He's talked about, I mean, just so much so one of the good things that they that you know Mark has going for him is that they've been working through the book of Romans. so if you can't summarize which I don't think anybody could summarize all the way up to chapter eight in an efficient manner, you could direct them back to the sermons that have been preached before because at least that way people can go back listen to them if they're interested to catch up with what's going on. But there's a lot that's happened. Now, what I would suggest, if you're a pastor and you're starting in verse 31 of chapter 8, at least summarize 8 so that the people that maybe haven't been there at least know what Paul's line of thought is up to this point. So, in verse one through, uh, starting at verse one in chapter eight, he's talked about uh, our life in the spirit, the spirit versus the flesh. He's talked about being heirs with Christ. He's talked about our future glory in Christ, as far as what that entails. That you know, all of the things that are happening, he Paul says, I see like as as nothing in in comparison to what we are going to experience. And then we get to verse thirty one, and this is where Mark's going to start. Uh, talking about, um, well, that's where he's going to start the sermon today. So, again, just one of the things we always look at, some people start by a story to intro them sort of into the text. Some people read the text as sort of an intro. Some people give sort of a background of where we're at up to this point so people sort of have a context everybody's different. Mark is gonna do a little bit of a mix where he, he tells them, hey, this is what's been going on. And then he uses some examples of assurances to sort of intro us into that. So let's see what he uses.
1: So if you're just kind of building your life thinking you're assured, you're not. What about your health? Some of you, I remember a few years ago, I planted herbs in Vancouver 12 years ago and, and we started growing, it was a little church in my house and then we started growing one services, two services, three services, four services. And I was driving around, we have all these different campuses, and I'm driving around, and I'm preaching like four or five times, and obviously I preach and I get excited. Like, I'm not like a monotone, like, thank you so much for coming to Bayside today. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We will be dealing with the text. It's a great text. Thank you for being here. That's not really how I talk. And-
0: All right. So what you're going to see, and I think this is a good point to mention it since he's pointed out himself that as a speaker, there are certain things that you have to realize about yourself. So this is specifically for pastors, but obviously this could apply to anybody that does public speaking. You have to realize that the audience you're speaking to, uh, you have to acknowledge who they are. So for example, when I'm speaking to people that are much older, you know, 65, 70, 80, I kind of use a different tone because of their age. What I'm assuming about their hearing, What I'm assuming about what I kind of the speed that I need to talk. Same thing when I'm talking to students and teenagers, there's a different speed, a different tone that I use there. And when I'm talking to people that are my own age, obviously, there are going to be uh, a speed and a tone that I use there. And then a mixed audience, right, you're going to kind of know how to, to, to speak a good speaker. And I'm not saying I'm the best or even decent. I'm just saying that this is what I've recognized by watching all of these pastors for all of these sermon reviews is that a good pastor knows, hey, this is my personality. This is sort of the level that I'm at. So Mark, for example, has already acknowledged that he's on on, on a level of 1 to 10. He's a 15. Like he's already acknowledged that. You're going to see that. He's like the squirrel from over the hedge. He is everywhere. This is going to be what, like watching Gary V preach to you just have I set sort of the tone and Mark knows that and I think what I, what we're gonna uh, not necessarily look for in Mark but what we really want to look for just as pastors ourselves is as we're preaching we are gonna have to know our personality kind of how we preach the way we do things and then also how um, how can we level that out so that how we're preaching as well as how the audience it, you know our audience responds to that and sort of level that out to where we are able to keep attention and keep engagement, but not lose what we're actually trying to teach. There are going to be people, and this is what I will say about Mark, just a little bit of this sermon that I've watched. There are going to be people that are not going to be able to watch Mark or come to this church because he is at a 15 on a one to 10 scale. And that's too much for them. They just, they can't concentrate. Like all of the running around, all of the screaming, like they just can't handle it. Like it's just... They can't concentrate. So what I my suggestion to Mark or somebody like Mark is not that that's bad that you're like this, like it's obvious that you've embraced your personality, right? But one of the things that I think can help as far as when we communicate the gospel is that you bring that down to a manageable level so that you're able to be who you are as far as a communicator, but do so in a way that so other people aren't like, they can concentrate and they can still learn from you. A good teacher isn't concerned about being them. A good teacher is saying, what can I do in order to communicate this message the most effectively? And if that means I have to kind of alter how I speak a bit in order to get that message across, I'm going to do that because the message is more important than my personality. And I think pastors often, we, we you don't think about that. Uh, speakers don't necessarily often think about that, but there is a way to embrace how you communicate while also modifying that enough to where people that you're trying to teach can learn from you. So again, that's not a whole lot to do with the sermon review per se, um, but that is something I think as speakers and as pastors, we have to keep in mind. So let's keep going.
1: So what happened is my voice over time left and I was the only preacher at this church and I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And they're like, your voice is gone. You can't talk. And so I was up, I'm like, everybody, I'm so scared. And I had an existential crisis because if I got fired, I'm no, don't tell anybody around here, if I can't talk, I'm no good to anybody. All I've got is talking right? All right? All I've got is if I can talk, and I'm really good at talking, but you take my voice away. And this is like something so interesting. Nothing is assured. If I lost my voice, I don't actually know what I would do with my life. My buddy says he'd hire me at his insurance company, but outside that, (laughs) I don't know what I'd do. And so there's nothing assured. And Romans chapter 8 comes along and he goes, Oh, we got some assurances in God. We got some assurances of what God wants to do. Some of you, my friend recently, he woke up and his marriage was over. My other buddy, a friend I know, he got into some sketchy investing. None of us knew about it. He ends up he in jail, and and you're like in the in the blink of an eye, your whole life can change, right? You can wake up and everything. So what do you do? How do you face it? Theologically, pragmatically, practically in your life, what do we do? How do we face all the instability? Paul unpacks four huge questions in this passage, Romans chapter eight, that we're going to hit. So if you got your notes, I might hit those. If
0: Okay, so his his um, kind of lead up to this is that there, there's going to be instability. There are going to be things that happen in your life, and Paul is going to address how to handle those situations when they come. Uh, yes and no, um, in the sense that there are going to be things that occur because of sin, either sin that you've brought on yourself, such as his buddy that is apparently now in jail because of some investing, um, that was not, that did not just happen to his friend. There was some things that his friend did, um, or maybe sin that, uh, happened to you and you had a bit of a part in like the, his friend, for example, that had his marriage. He didn't just wake up one day and his marriage fell apart. That doesn't just happen in a day that happens over time. And that's probably his buddy's sin as well as his buddy's wife's sin all coming together and, you know, things occurring, Um, so this idea, I I understand that Mark's trying to make it like very applicable to people of this sense of, Hey, things are going to happen to you. How do you address it? Well, Paul talks about four questions here on how to address the things that happen in life. Kind of, I mean, up to this point, there's been a lot obviously in Romans, but what we're talking about is this life we have with Christ now in the spirit, this new, uh, this new nature we have given to us by God. Uh, the sanctification in our lives by the spirit happening. And then so when we get down to what then shall we say to these things? And so whenever we have this new life and there's suffering um, and there's adversity, then what, how do we react as believers to this adversity? So this does play in a bit to what he's saying. Like there is adversity you're going to have to react to as a believer. So this is, we're coming at this as a believer understanding you know what Christ has done for us how do we face adversity then so this is presented as almost this could be for anybody and this isn't just for anybody now to Mark's credit he does clarify here in a minute about that but I just want to make sure that's clear like Romans is written to believers hey believer how do you deal with adversity that come in your life it comes into your life now that you're heirs in Christ. Now that you have new life in him, how do you deal with it now? Um, so let's see what four questions Mark says Paul has.
1: Just fill them in yourself. You can uh, email Kevin Thompson at granitebay.com or whatever your email is. Okay, here we go. Okay, here we go. So, Roman Shelf Trade, there are four huge questions.
0: One more thing on this, I guess. So he's he's made a joke about this a couple times in the sermon already, which we're not very far in. But he's made a joke a few times about it that if you're going to give notes to people in the church, like if you're going to give them a handout that kind of walks them through an outline, use that outline. Right? There's a reason it's written that way, and I get. And this plays back to what I said before. As a pastor, I understand that like your personality is all over the place. Use that outline to rein you in for both your benefit and the benefit of the people that are there listening to you. Because if you ignore that outline enough, what's going to end up happening is they're just not going to pay attention to it anymore. And it's just going to be this extra thing that you do, and it's just going to become an aggravation. Use it to rein yourself in, but also for their benefit. Because now they know, hey, this is what we're talking about. This is the, These are the things I'm going to pay attention to. And so it's going to be more helpful uh, to your congregation and to you as a speaker to, to be productive in what you're saying.
1: All right. That's what Paul deals with for massive for our life, especially in the midst of suffering, especially in the midst of difficulty, especially in the midst of when life pushes back. And here's what the apostle Paul is going to say, man, and this is the assurance I want to give you all right up front. There is nothing guys, if you are in Jesus Christ, Here's the perspective you got to have. And if you're a skeptic and you're visiting, awesome. Great, great text for you because it's going to give you a perspective of what's behind the veil. That life isn't what it seems. That materialism isn't right. That naturalism isn't right. That actually there is a God. And if there is a God and He has a plan and He is moving in Jesus Christ, then things are not as they seem. And when you pull the veil back, you get to see that even in the circumstances of your life, even when it seems like you're losing, and you will lose at life, Let me be one of the preachers in your life to tell you this. You will lose. I know it's better for like, hey, everybody, I'm gonna rile you up. You're a winner, you know? No, no, you are a loser, all right? And and not only are you a loser, but you will lose at life because your marriage will falter. Your money will run out, your health. And here's what this passage is about to say. No amount of debt, no amount of disease, no amount of divorce, no amount of discouragement, in the end, when you see it from the perspective of eternity, none of that wins in the end. It may win in this life. We are not prosperity gospel here. We are not going to tell you you'll never run out of money and you'll never get cancer. You probably will. I'm just being real. How else are you going to die? Right? Like there's people like, oh, I'm never going to get a disease. But even Lazarus. Think about when Jesus, he raised Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11, we all celebrate. I'm the resurrection. There was a point in Lazarus's life when he was walking along, He's probably 70 or 80. He's like, oh, I know what this feels like. I've done this before. Like... Lazarus ain't walking around now. He's dead. He died. And every one of us will die one day. Every one of us will sit and take our last breath. And if you can't figure out a theology that says, I know what's happening right now. I know what's taking place in this moment when the veil is so thin that I can feel the other side then you will not know how to wake up in the morning when life kicks back. When you face suffering and pain and agony, which you will. So what do we do? Here's Romans eight. It starts to unpack it for us. And it asks four basic questions. First one is this, look at this. What shall we say in response to these things? Here's question number one. If God is for us, who can be against us? Man, if God is for us, like so here's what happens. In the garden, since the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden, sin comes into play, here's what happens. Life begins to kick against us. It just is what it is. God says, look, you're gonna try to work the field, the field's gonna have thorns. Life is going to kick against you. Your marriage is gonna kick against you, Right? Your spouse, like as much as you try to develop your spouse and, and it's you're gonna fight my uh, my wife she's like bro all
0: right so he's going to tell a story here in to sort of try to relate this to life kicking against you a bit now he's done a good job I think up to this point, giving examples of the fact that things are going to happen and you know he's given very vague examples, but bat you know there's going to be difficult things that occur. And when these difficult things occur, you're going to need a lens in which to process things through. He's also acknowledged that there are people probably within that congregation or within the audience that's come to that church today that don't hold the same lens as he does as far as what we're talking about in Christ. And he, he's presenting and saying, hey, this is uh, what Paul is saying, that in Christ we can then see things in a certain way and live in a certain way in light of seeing uh, and knowing who Jesus is now, this is probably, if I had to guess, this is referring back to his sermon that he did the week prior, because that those are the verses in which Paul has talked about, you know, uh, all of this, um, the, th- th- in comparison to the glory that's coming, um, this is, you know, all of the things that have happened to us are, are just shadows in comparison to the glory that's going to be coming before I forget what verse that is in eight, but it's there. And so my guess is he's kind of referring back to that, what he preached before. Now he's going to get into a story and I just want us to listen to it because we've talked about this before. Stories can be very, very beneficial in regards to un- like helping us understand uh, what's happening maybe in a text in a really like, in a very applicable way that we can just understand easier than um, just maybe just reading it. Um, And as a pastor, Mark has probably a ton of examples of really hard situations in which this is true, like things happen in people's marriages, and he's probably got a ton of examples of terrible things. Um, Let's see the example he uses, and then we'll kind of discuss that and see, you know, as I've said before, you have a limited amount of time in a sermon. So the things you say, the stories you tell, you have to be careful about that because you only have a certain amount of time. So you want to be mindful of, of how you use it.
1: Just two weeks ago, she's serving a breakaway morning to night, two weeks in a row. She's, she starts to cook meals for like young moms in the church because she sees them serving all day at breakaway. She's serving all day at breakaway. She's got my mom visiting, which is a whole other story. Uh, she, we got stuff going on in our life that's a disaster. Like we got stuff, stuff has happened. And she's just going and she says, I'm asking you one thing. I know you're busy. I know... You're trying to act like a Jedi up on stage and run around with the kids. Whatever you're doing, there is someone supposed to call me with the freezer, and they got to drop the freezer off at the house, and we can't miss it because last time they just went. We we, we tried, and then they left, and it's been three weeks since. And so you we have to answer this call, but I might be in the middle of a session, so you've got to take my phone, and you've got to answer it, and you got to make sure. Okay, great, great, great. So I'm in the midst of like five meetings. And these people are talking, I'm just staring at this phone. I'm like, I'm gonna accomplish this task, man. My wife has given me one stinking task, all right? I'm gonna accomplish this task so well. And I'm staring at that phone. Hey, I think we should reach people for Christ. I gotta reach this. I got to answer this phone. I gotta answer this phone. This is what matters right now. So I'm watching it. I'm in four or five different meetings. I'm watching this phone. This is not a joke. Three hours goes by, I'm watching this phone. Finally, I come back to the breakaway. I'm holding a phone. I hand her her phone. This is a real story. As her fingers touch the phone, the phone lights up. And it says, it's the the freezer company. And my brain hits decline. (laughs) I'm not joking you, that's a real story. How is that possible? How is that possible? I'm like, and her fingers, it's like, responsibility has been passed off. And I almost, and she's like, what, I don't, what are you doing? Guys, life kicks back. Your spouse, your marriage, your kids, your work, everything since the Garden of Eden, everything since sin, kicks back against us. My work kicked back against me. My body has started, I'm 41. I'm getting the dad bod. It's starting to kick back, man. Di-
0: so he's he's now using these examples to talk about, hey, there are things that happen that are results of sin. And this is what they, they look like. Now, he's talking, obviously, about things like a dad bod or kids disobeying you or little fights you get in with your wife or husband, which, to be fair, are very applicable in day-to-day situations. What we... What, what we really want to do, and what my what my hope as when I was a pastor when I preach is to make sure we give uh, the full spectrum of that. Again, what I mean by that is that Mark clearly—I ha- mean, he's a pastor. I'm sure he has innumerable stories of terrible situations that have ha- happened to people's life, and one of the things that we really need to communicate in a in a a way that i think paul is doing in romans is really demonstrating the depth of sin and the glories of christ and when we mention it's not that these things like aren't frivolous right you're fighting with your spouse or your kids disobeying or your health going like starting to decline a bit because you have a dad bod like it's not that these things are frivolous it's just that unbelievers can say yeah we react to those two and it's not any different than christians which, unfortunately, is often true as far as the reaction goes. Which is where, really, we can press in on this scripture in a way that demonstrates that there is a difference. There is a difference in Christ. So, if we are to mention, for example, like just the situations I'm sure Mark is aware of, I mean, people being totally unfaithful and destroying marriages. He's already mentioned at the beginning one of his buddies, right? Their marriage, his marriage, falling apart. Uh, I'm sure he's got stories of people that are like, just giving in everything they have and nothing works out. There's people that have been struggling with cancer for years in this church, I'm sure. Like those are the stories that actually, like we can really dive into and say, hey, when this darkness occurs, right? Example, there's a lady that uh, I go to church with has had chronic pain for 20 plus years. There is not a day that she does not get up that she is not in pain that she like getting out of a chair hurts sitting down hurts sitting still hurts like there's not a moment in her life in which she's not in pain and there's not a medication they can give her to make it go away she is always gonna have it and there's hardly anything she can do to alleviate it and it just keeps getting worse but she knows Christ and she knows that in this suffering that she's enduring, in this, in this pain that literally will not go away, and it's just, she's been told it's just going to keep getting worse, and there's nothing they can do for her. In her life, she takes joy in the knowledge of Jesus, that he has taken her out of sin, given her new life, and will one day give her a new body. That this present suffering that she's going through is nothing in comparison to the glory that she's going to experience in Christ. So she's been taken out of sin, and though she still feels the, the weight of the world on her, though she still feels this constant pain because she lives in a fallen world, she has hope in Christ. She knows that her sin has been forgiven. She knows there's nothing that can be brought up uh, against her to where she can be condemned because Jesus has justified her. So when we look at this, who, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? The, the reality for her in her life is that there's nothing. God is for her, even in all of these situations, on all, all of this pain, Right. And so I don't want to go keep going in on that because I want to give uh, let Mark do his sermon. But I do you see the difference between that story and the I accidentally hit decline on my wife's phone because the freezer company called? Like, yeah, it's got some levity. It's a lot more like upbeat. But the, the depth of what Paul is trying to communicate in all of Romans, but here specifically, is sort of lost. It's sort of downplayed. It's sort of watered down. The Christian claims to have this good news. Well, what is the good news? It's not just that like, oh, when you have a spat, you know, God is for you. Because unbelievers have spats with their spouses and they get through it too, just fine. Or they don't and they just move on. What's the difference in a Christian's life? Well, the difference in a Christian's life is that we have Christ and that actually affects us. And how we interact with life. So anyway, getting back to uh, what Mark is saying.
1: That's what creation in life actually does. And it beats up on us. And so, here's some beautiful words of Paul. In the midst of all that kickback, guys. Listen to me. God is for you. Boom. When you start to doubt. Now, Now, I don't say that as some sentimental nonsense. Like some modern new age, God, the universe is for you. God is for everyone. That's not actually true in the Bible. All through the Bible, one of the most terrifying things, John Stott puts it this way. He says, perhaps the most terrible words which human ears could ever hear are those which God uttered many times throughout the Bible. I am against you. Babylon, Assyria, Israel, when they started to, to you know, worship idols, over and over again, God actually says, I'm against you. I'm against the way you're living. I'm against what you're doing. And yet, Paul's going, if you're in Christ, which is what I've been talking about for eight chapters, God is for you. God is for you. Like you just need to hear that. And just like when you're going through it, go, gosh, I gotta remember that, man. Because if that's true, then who can be against me? The rhetorical question, nobody. God is for me. And, and, and if you're here, and you're a skeptic, and you're exploring Jesus and Christianity, we're so glad that you're here. And here's what this verse makes me think about. Even if you don't believe that Christianity is true, this verse should make you want it to be true. Right? That God, if he exists, would actually be for you if you're in Christ. He's not against you, he's for you. And that doesn't mean...
0: So this interesting that he has a moment there where he could communicate the gospel in a way that says, like he does, he he gets to the edge of it where he's saying that God could be for you if you were in Christ, but he doesn't say God is against you right now. You're living in a way that is opposed to his teachings. You are in rebellion toward him and therefore he is against you. You are in the right path of a righteous God that is coming to judge you because you were outside of Christ. But in Christ, you can have new creation. You can have new life. God can be for you in this life because you are doing the things in which he has decreed because you are changed in light of Jesus Christ. He could say that. He doesn't say that. He gets really close to that. Also, something that I think is really important in this verse that takes out of context all the time is that God is for you in... uh, Yes, so when you're going through things, God is for you. Whenever you see adversity... Uh, whenever uh, sin is just at your doorstep, like you're feeling the effects of it, God is for you. But the one thing that I think we really need to point out here is that you'll declare, well, God is for me. I'm going through debt, but God is for me. Yeah. But did you bring that debt on yourself? Like, is there something, did you sin in such a way in which the, there's a reason the debt's on your doorstep? Like God's for me. Well, you brought that on yourself, right? like I'm going through divorce and it's, you know, God is for me. Well, yeah, but what did you do that led up to that too? So this is where I really wanted to distinguish the point here is that he's saying when debt and divorce and things are against you, God is for you. It's important to recognize that God is for you in Christ, but there are certain things that, you know, you maybe did to bring this stuff to your doorstep. This isn't just sin that occurred to you that was outside of your control. The things that he's mentioning, most of it is inside of your control, and you could have done something about if you were living in such a way that you know reflected the teachings of Christ. So we have to keep that in mind too and balance that out. It's not just God is for me in my debt and in my divorce. Well, th- there are certain ways that you're, you're you're supposed to act because you've been changed by Christ. You're being sanctified by the Spirit. So God is for you, but he's not for you whenever you're doing sinful things. <laughs> so just keep that in mind as well.
1: That you're perfect in your imperfection, right? Like, like I was um, my buddy, uh, one of the guys from Bayside here invited me up to uh, a, uh, a celebrity golf tournament a couple weeks ago. Okay, so we go up to the celebrity golf tournament.
0: And I just briefly here, I want to note too, another story is about to be told. What we want to hear when we're listening to stories We want to say, okay, is this helping enlighten us to what the text is saying, or is it a fluffer piece that's not really doing a whole lot? And as pastors, we need to keep that in mind too. As we're interjecting stories into our sermons, illustrations... Are they beneficial or can they just be cut out and we can actually spend more time on something more important? This has to be something we're thinking about because telling a story for story's sake is not helpful. And telling a story that we think is helpful, what we really have to think is, okay, is this overall beneficial or can I cut this from my sermon and spend more time on something else? And as, as we're listening as congregants, what we're trying to say here is like, was that actually helpful or was that just more of an entertainment sort of thing? We have to begin as believers and as pastors to say what's entertainment versus what is helpful and beneficial to the teaching. Let's get to it.
1: In Napa, and I'm like, oh, celebrity golf, I'm going to meet all these celebs. So I'm literally sitting around with this, uh, this girl. She's like from some sitcom in the 90s and we're having dinner. And we're just talking, and she's like, "Hey, I'm from," and I'm like, "Oh," and I'm like, "Oh, you're that, you're that girl from that sitcom in the '90s." And she's like, "Yeah," I'm like, "Wow, you haven't really done anything since, have you?" <laughs> and she just gets up and leaves the table. <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, I didn't. What? Well, shoot, man." And then I meet, and then I meet. Uh, you guys know who David Justice is, yes. right? Atlanta Braves, David Justice. I'm like, David Justice. I'm gonna meet David Justice. I got a selfie with David Justice. And then I'm like, hey, I was a kid. I was a Blue Jays fan in, the, in 92, 93. So I'm a kid growing up. And the Blue Jays, of course, beat the Braves, David Justice. And I'm like, David Justice, I'm so glad you were not a better baseball player because then my team would have lost. And then David Justice just walks away from me. See, these are the imperfections. <laughs> these are the things like, guys, God doesn't, he's not for you because you're perfect. You fumble it, you mess up, you say dumb stuff. But if you're in Christ, he's for you and nothing can be against you. No cancer, no divorce, no discouragement, no disaster, no debt can actually be against you in any way that matters. Okay, so here is question number two, verse 32. Question number two he who did not spare his own son, meaning Jesus, but gave him up for all of us, for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Oh my goodness. Okay, so here's what he does. He connects the, the fact that you know God is for you with this moment where he gave his own son. So, so here's the distinction. Um, In some religions, like, you get to heaven by mantras and meditation and good ideas and holy books and all of that kind of big ideas. But Christianity says the reason you know that God loves you and is for you is not based on ideas, but based on a historical moment. That Jesus actually died, historically. And that's what you can go back to and say, okay, that's how I know that God actually loves me. It's that he sent his son historically to die for me. That's the reality. Jesus Christ, a historical figure, God sent him. It wasn't us that did it. It wasn't any of that. God sent Jesus historically, and that's how he know he loves us. He's for us. So it's a beautiful reality. Now, it's, it's very similar to like when we talk about love languages, and we talk, you know, when I got married to Aaron.
0: Okay, so he's about to go into another story. Um, if you can see, this is obviously David or Mark rather is very heavy on, on storytelling. Now what he's already covered though, and what I think is helpful in in, in a way is what he's saying. He, he goes through and he says, uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Paul's point here is that, verse 31, what shall we say to all of these things? All of these things being that we are, um, uh, we have future glory in Christ, that we are heirs in Christ, that we now have new life in Christ. So what should we say to all of this is that if God is for us, then who can be against us? Well, he answers that question. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him uh, graciously give us all things? And, and what what Mark does here is he he compare he basically says a comparative of religions here, saying that in other religions you have to do things. You the onus is on you to do the thing, to read the book, to say the prayer, to make yourself worthy. And what we see Paul saying here in Christianity that's different is that you don't have condemnation. Uh, or justification through yourself but rather it is God who did so by not sparing his own son but giving him up for us all and there's result of that him giving us up for us all so the onus is in Christianity the onus is on Jesus Jesus being coming, living a perfect life, dying a death in our place for our sins and raising from uh, the grave. Now, obviously this, that's not what's mentioned specifically here in Paul. Paul specifically mentioned uh, Jesus coming for us. Um, and then the result of that also being that he's also going to get graciously give us all things. Now Mark doesn't really unpack the all things yet, um, but the reality that God gave us Christ um, and he connects that to the the question of who, who can have any charge against, or no, that's not the charge part yet. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one can be against us. Why? Well, because Jesus gave up his son for us, and now he's going to unpack that again. He's going into love languages. There's so much story here that I feel like we could really cut so much of this out and just focus on the text, but this is not, it's not my sermon. This is Mark's sermon. So let's listen to kind of how Mark is trying to explain God giving up Christ for us and graciously in him giving us all things. And he's going to use a story to illustrate that.
1: You know, her love language is like, oh, quality, time, and physical touch. And I just love, like, I just love being with you. you know, and that's kind of how it is when you, like, you're dating. It's like, what are, your, what are your love languages? Oh, I'm just quality, time, and physical touch with Mark. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fast forward 20 years. It ain't no none of that, all right? And I think women's love languages tend to evolve. It's acts of service, bro. Right? Ladies, come on. Talk is cheap. Men can talk. Oh, honey, I like. Talk is cheap. Act for me, bro. So my wife and all this quality time and, and touching, at no, vacuum the house, moron. That's, that's the love. That's how I know you love me. So, so this is God going, oh, no, no, I'm not gonna stand back and go, guys, I love you. It's I'm gonna send my son as an act of service to die for you because I know talk is cheap. No other religion offers this. It's all ideas, philosophy, holy books, mantras, meditation, pilgrimages. This is a historical moment where he goes, guys, I actually came and I gave him. I gave him for you. That's how you know I actually love you. And then the beautiful thing is he says... Oh man, and guys, we could do we could do an hour on this. Uh, along with graciously, he's going to give us all things. You know what that's. You know what that is, guys. This, this is what this is. This is him going. You will suffer in this life, even as Christians. Maybe more if than if you weren't. Because here's the apostle Paul. He goes to prison. He suffers. He gets beaten. All the early apostles, like. Like, I remember when I first became a Christian, I thought I'd come into church, because I was reading the New Testament, all the early apostles died. They got ripped apart by lions, crucified, because they followed Jesus, not because they didn't. Your life might end up more persecuted, more suffering, more difficult, but here's what Paul just says. God is going to give you all things, guys. Will, now notice notice this, Graciously, he will give us, you can't really see it there, but that word right there is will. That means future. That means in this life, it might go all wrong for you, but don't worry, God's gonna pay it back. Because there's going to be this experience in heaven that you cannot even imagine right now. You can't even imagine what heaven's gonna be like. Now, here's partly why you can't imagine it. Because you've been pitched these modern versions of heaven that are boring. Hey, everyone, we're gonna...
0: All right, so he's going to get into this in a minute, but I I did want to stop for a second. So he's getting into the graciously give us all things um, part in a minute. Now, one of the things that I do appreciate is that he is um, talking about it, you know, within the context of the verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all? All things. So he's not making it, he's already mentioned he's not a, you know, their church isn't a prosperity gospel church, which is great. And one of the things that I do uh, like about what he's doing, he's walking them through verse by verse here, or word by word specifically. So now he's going to unpack and say, okay, well, what does that mean then? Graciously give us all things in him, him being Jesus. So let's see what he says about that really quick, um, because this is important. Uh, he's going to, or at least what he's alluded to here, I haven't got any further past this part in the sermon, but what he's alluded to is that, you know, we have, um, we have bad versions of heaven. Like as far as how our understanding of what that's going to look like is worked out. So now he's going to sort of, uh, break that down and process that through and say, okay, well, this is what you think heaven looks like. This is maybe what heaven is going to be like. And this is what all things is actually meant to meant to be
1: get together in a big Apple store, it's going to just be white. It's going to be Philadelphia cream cheese commercial. You can be on a cloud, there's going to be babies and diapers, and you're just going to sing for 900 million years. And you're like, <coughs> what? <laughs> what? And then you, you listen to the Mormon and the Muslim versions. And they're like, oh, man, we're just going to have virgins. We're going to be having planetary babies for eternity. And the guys are like, let me be a Muslim. That sounds fun. That Christian thing, that's boring. And that's because we haven't understood heaven.
0: Okay, so one, I think as pastors, as preachers, there are a couple things we have to do and be careful as how we present things. Um, You have to be at least intellectually honest with the the other arguments that are happening so as far as the virgins things the planetary babies like there there are ways to unpack that um that are i don't want to say more respectful because i it's it's not necessarily my concern to be more respectful but the idea of at least presenting it in an honest way right so when he's going between the two um, if, if you're not familiar with Islam or Mormonism, then you're going to be confused probably about what he just said, as far as planetary babies, the virgin thing, maybe you're more familiar with, but we just have to be careful about how we present them. So we're, we're, cause all the time people say that Christianity is presented incorrectly, which it is, honestly, there's a lot of people that just don't understand, you know, Christian doctrine or theology, but on the same note, uh, we, if we're going to complain about people presenting uh, our theology incorrectly, we at least have to be intellectually honest when we present other people's theology as well. And that's, I mean, it's just, again, it goes back to just presenting it well so that when we present our argument, it actually is a good argument.
1: You know what he just said? He's going to he, it ain't, guys, it ain't singing and an and Apple store. This is, this is new creation. This is new heaven, new earth. This is physical. This is, you're not a ghost in heaven. You're back to physical. God redeems the physical world. That's why Jesus gets resurrected. It's not that Jesus becomes a spirit being and flies around. He gets into a new body. Do you know why you can't get an appetite for a future where you're a disembodied spirit? because you were made to be physical, to have your feet in the soil. And so what God's gonna do, trying to get an appetite for a disembodied future is like trying to get an appetite to eat sand. Never gonna happen. So what does God do? He goes, new heaven, new earth. Romans 8, Revelation 21, 22, new heaven, new earth. Trees, adventure, music, culture, physical. That's the dream. And God goes, listen, that's the future. Delight forevermore. This is what he's saying. God's gonna give you all things. And he's gonna give you all things in a way that restores all things. It's like, um, so listen to Romans chapter eight, verse uh, 18. For I consider, this is a fascinating verse. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Think about that for a second. The, the cancer, the difficulty, the divorce, the discouragement, the debt. Those experiences are awful. They're awful. But you are going to experience something in the new creation that makes those things look small.
0: So I think that point right there is really good, right? So if we're talking about going through the text, reading the text, explaining the text, proclaiming the gospel in the text that that point right there is a great point that he's just made in the sense that uh, all things are made new and I think he hits on this and this is really good this is something that I think uh, it's in the Apostles Creed it's one of the things the early church really hit on and tried to teach was that there is a renewal of creation there is a physicality to it like what he's talking about now I think I I mean, he was talking about music and culture and all that, like, which I guess can be possibly assumed here. But the idea, the baseline idea is that there is a new heaven, a new earth, you have a resurrected body. Jesus is the first fruits of that, the first fruits of what that looks like. Uh, so, that I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right, that whole the resurrected body thing. So it's one of those things that the Christians, we, we have to look forward to. And I think he does a pretty good job of unpacking the graciously giving us all things part. So it's this idea that when we're going through Romans chapter 8, he's talking about heirs to Christ. He's talking about, you know, being in the spirit. He's talking about, you know, the the effects of sin on the world. Then what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, he, will he not also with him graciously give us all things so it's this real reality here that you cannot be condemned because god's for you not only is god for you god how, how do you know god's for you he gave up his son for you not only did he give up his son for you not only are you saved but there's something that comes along with that and what comes along with that is that he will not also give you graciously all things like there's things attached to this salvation this new life in christ so as much you know crap as i've given mark up to this point uh, a lot of it is secondary in regards to the way maybe he preaches or maybe the stories he's telling but at the core of it what he just said is really bringing out the text here in regards to the reality that there is a lot to this that comes with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and the implications of that. And what Paul is saying here in regards to, um, who, no one can be against you. You have Jesus. You Jesus has redeemed you. And with that redemption comes some things. And one of those things is that you will, uh, you're going to be graciously given all things. So let's get back to it.
1: Come on. It's going to be so pleasure-filled, so glorious, that it's going to make the suffering, it's going to put the suffering in context. It's like this. So have you ever had a, uh, Oftentimes this has happened to me, I've had a nightmare about Erin. Okay, well I'll be dreaming and then it'll be like, she'll die or, or whatever. And, and, and you'll wake up and you'll be like, oh, 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 oh my goodness. And you'll, and you'll go, up and, oh my goodness, she's still here and we're good. And then like the next week, I just like value her more, right? You had that happen where you have a dream and you've lost something and then that something actually, and you're like, oh my gosh, it was a dream. And you like spend more money on her and you love her more and oh, I'm vacuuming, you know, whatever. It's like, I love you more because I lost you. That's what Romans 8 just said. Something about the new creation will be better because we know pain come on. This is like, you should want to become a Christian based on the fact that Paul just said, God is going to give you all things, all things, the most pleasure you can ever imagine, a pleasure that is on a million times what the little...
0: Now, the only issue I have with what he just said is that you should want to become a Christian because God is going to give you these things. That is distinctively different than um, what we kind of see in the gospel. The, the, we're, you don't pursue Christ because of the things he gives you. In fact, in the gospels, Jesus is actually very adamant against the people because they're pursuing him just for the things that he's giving them. Um, so I have to take issue with what Mark just said there is that this is not, we don't want to become a Christian because of all the things God gives us. We, we are gracious, more gracious to God in our salvation because he gives us more than we deserve not only have we been saved which is this amazing gift of uh, from god that we don't deserve anyway but on top of that we are given even above that we are we are able to participate in the the new creation the redemption of all things not just not just the reconciliation of our relationship with god like that in and of itself is an amazing gift that we should really ponder on and really meditate on and really think about because we don't deserve that and the fact that that's even available is this mind blowing thing but with that with that comes the new the participation in the new creation like we get a bonus pack for free on that not only are we saved not only are we taken out taken out of the path of the wrath of god and and brought into his family but with that we get to experience the new creation with him with that we get to see him do all of this that's amazing that's grace upon grace upon grace. So it's not that we want to follow him and become a Christian because we're going to get these things. We actually follow him because we understand that there we need to be reconciled to him. There is this reality that we are apart from our, our creator and we, we, we've, we are justly going to be judged. But because of Jesus, we can have reconciliation with him. And in that reconciliation comes these gifts that are attached to it. But we don't pursue him because of these gifts. And my hope is that that mark isn't going to say hey if you're a non-believer sitting here you can have all of this too because that does sort of have a tinge of prosperity gospels to it even though he's already said he's not a prosperity gospel teacher if you're presenting you should be you should come to christ and you get all these things when you do that kind of is prosperity teaching because you're saying you should come for these things not solely for not solely for christ but you should you should come for these things these benefits that come with it no you get these benefits on top of this but this is not why you follow him you follow him because he is a good god that has given you the opportunity to be reconciled even though you shouldn't be this is the 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 prodigal son parable this is you coming back going i should be a servant and he gives you sonship right you you know you don't even deserve sonship like you don't really even deserve to work for him but even when you come to him and say, I'll be a slave, he makes you, he makes you an heir. And this is the amazing thing of the gospel that you don't deserve it, but you get it and you get more than that. But that's not why you pursue him. That's not why you become a Christian, but that is a bonus of following him. So let's keep going.
1: Pleasures in life that we see now are, and you know what I love about that story It's because so many stories in our lives are just stories where we defeat evil rather than restore it. Think about that. Most movies that we watch, most books we read, are things where we destroy evil, destroy evil. Christian stories, like, I'm gonna actually restore and redeem it. It's like, uh, have you guys seen Moana? That's what I love about Moana. Moana, right? Moana is a story about, she doesn't, think, this is, she's one of the most unique stories in our culture. She doesn't actually destroy the evil thing at the end. What does she do? She's got the heart of Tafiki. And she walks, and she's, like, and she's like, I'm gonna give the heart back. And then Tafiki, this big, like, red demon thing's like, and, and, the, and the water parts, it's like, and then she's like, and I crossed the horizon to find you. <laughs> I, I wasn't even done, I wasn't even talking okay, fine. Like, so she, and the thing's like, Wah! and then, she gives a little green thing back in the end and and it's a restoration story. That's the biblical story. God is going to redeem your. So here, here's
0: the. So I just gave him all these props for, for, for talking about all, giving us all things. But now I'm going to have to backtrack a bit because the, the difference in the story of Muwana versus the story of Christianity is that it is not God redeeming evil. It is God destroying evil and redeeming creation, which was affected by evil. This is what Paul's talked about. Uh, before this in chapter seven and eight, is that even creation groans at the longing because uh, it's been afflicted by sin unwillingly, but it's been afflicted by it. And now it groans for the day that it will be renewed. So there's a distinct difference here between Muana and Christian thought is that there is redemption, but it's a totally different type of redemption than than what culture would seem to be. So in Muana the bad guy's not really a bad guy. The bad guy just is, you know, it's it's been hurt and it needs to be healed in christianity satan is opposed to god we are in our rebellion apart from christ opposed to god evil will be destroyed evil is not being redeemed it's being done away with and being thrown into the lake of fire and uh and all things are now renewed that evil is destroyed christ puts proper judgment on rebellion renews creation which has been longing to be renewed and and that's the difference here, and this is what I again for all the props I give Mark on the you know the the bodily resurrection and all things given. There is a distinctive problem with the way he's presenting uh, redemption here. This is totally different uh, what we see biblically than the story of Muana. It is a destruction and a, a judgment on evil, a judgment on evil, and then a subsequent throwing into the lake of fire because of the rebellion and then a renewing of all creation to the way that it ought to be apart from evil um so that's uh, that's a careful distinction there
1: physicality your pleasure your body that was broken with cancer and disease and divorce and discouragement he's going to redeem it and console it and give it all back. And in the words of Gandalf, everything sad is gonna come untrue. That's the biblical narrative. That's what Romans 8 is about. That's why people are like, this is the greatest passage in the Bible, because Paul goes, all the pain, all the suffering, all the difficulty, if you are in Christ, you get it all back and then some. And for those of us who know pain, and no difficulty this is sometimes all we have to hold on to man this is all that gets us up in the morning cuz we're like well everything else sucks <laughs> but at least if I follow Jesus to the end I get all things so
0: here. see this is what and this is ah, we're not going to get through this whole sermon so i i i'm it's i'm sad by that because <laughs> there there's probably quite a bit more here that he says um but this isn't going in a great direction because yeah there are people the story i told of the lady i know for example that has chronic pain that she does get up every day and it is terrible and to hear her talk about it there are days where she really struggles with that but her hope is in christ it's not in the things that she gets but the, it's the hope in Christ that she has been saved from sin, that she has made new in him, and that one day she will be with him. And with that comes restoration of her physical body. And I just want to make sure that we, we, we parse that out in a way that's biblical. It's not that I get up and life sucks every day, and I look forward and go, well, one day at least I get everything. I just have to make it. I have to drudge through this life, and one day I get everything. That's not the approach of the Christian. The approach of the Christian says, I have been redeemed. I've been taken out of sin. I have hope in Christ, and I look forward to the day that all things are made new. But in this time, I'm going to take joy in the fact that I know who Christ is, that I've been renewed daily until that day in which all things are made new. This, I I want to go back and I don't know if this has any connection and I don't want to like dog on Mark any, but at the beginning of this sermon, Mark said that if his voice was taken away, he wouldn't know what to do with himself. And this seems to tie into this. Like if Mark lost his voice tomorrow, Would he still have the joy of the Lord or would he be, be purposeless? Is your identity found in, in, in what you're able to do or the things that you have talents in, or is your identity found in Christ, right? Is my identity found in the fact that I have a job and a wife and kids and health, or is my identity found in Christ, which means that all the other things can crumble and all the things can be taken away, but I still have hope in the Lord. This is the story of Job, right? His wife says, you've lost everything, curse God and die. And Job, even in the midst of great pain and suffering, right, um, holds on to that God is God. And at the end, I mean, he sees the fact that like he thought he knew who God was and now he knows him even more. Like he, he I, I forget the exact wording, but like, I, I thought I knew you, but now I see you or something along those lines. This, there's this depth of knowing who God is now. So um, let, let's let's give Mark a couple more minutes and we're going to have to wrap this up. We're not going to get all the way through it. But this is, a, I have to parse out what he's saying here because there's some things that he's saying that I, that I don't think are helpful and I think are a little confusing.
1: Here's what D.L. Moody said back in the day. He said, one day you're gonna read that I'm dead in the newspaper. Don't believe it for a second, because in that moment I'll be more alive than I've ever been. (laughs) That's what heaven is, guys. It's a different worldview than naturalism. It's a different worldview than karma. It's a different world. So, So Christianity offers us. Now, verse 33, third question out of four. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So here's the third question. Who will bring any charge against those? This is a very important verse, because here's what you you gotta hold on to right now. Every single one of you is gonna have people talk about you and charge against you and hate on you and spread lies about you and spread all kinds of rumors about you. And this verse is going to make you go, I don't care. I started a church in Canada that grew bigger than 14 people. You know what that means? I'm a target. And people came up with all kinds of theories about why the church grew. All kinds, they would come up. There was a theory going around that we paid people to attend our church. Paid them. Put it on the budget line item. Attendance. Money. There was people that like, Mark, he gets good-looking young women to sit at the Connect desk in order to attract young men. That's why young men, so many young men go to his church. Wow. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad idea. I'm just saying I didn't do it. <laughs> I, I had people, my, uh, uh, one of our best friends back home, um, her and my wife looked very similar. And people would say, are you twins? Are you sisters? Whatever. One day she said to the other,
0: Okay. Two things here. And I just need to mention it I, I, again. This isn't me trying to make fun of Mark, but there's, have you noticed like, like he does that a lot. It might be like a, a tick. It might be Tourette. I'm not sure, but I, I just want to point it out because somebody might point it out in the comments and it is what it is. I think it's just cause he's like very energetic, but he's been doing it a lot lately. Um, again, not important. As long as it's like just a tick and not just like his energy trying to get out. Uh, but more importantly, um, we've moved on to another story, another personal story. Pastors, if I could give one bit of advice, and I am terrible at this. I need, I myself need to get better at this. But we need to move away from personal stories because we're so connected to them um, that sometimes that's a problem. So, for example, he's saying in verse um uh, what verse is it who shall bring any charge against god elect it is god who justifies and he's using things that used to get said about him and he's saying yeah well, this I used to get accused about this and you know I don't care because you know who's going to bring a charge against me this is much deeper than that again what we've said here this is paul is talking about uh you know, you've been freed from sin. You, uh, you are, you are in Christ. You are going to get the benefits of being in Christ. So who who shall bring any charge against those that God has chosen? Right? There's going to be things. This is like in in 1st and 2nd Peter. Like when you're persecuted, that's going to happen. Just take it as joy. This is the same sort of thing. Like who who's going to condemn you? Who who's going to bring a charge against you? It's only God who justifies you anyway. So that's who you should be concerned about, right? There will be things that happen. Be satisfied that you've been uh justified in Christ. So again, you, you can use stories where people have said things about you, but there are other things that, like I said, he's a pastor. I have stories. I'm sure he has stories of people that have been wrongly accused and you could use those stories, disconnect it from you. Right. And then show examples of faithful saints that have gone through adversity and things being said about them that weren't true. And this is the important part responded in godly ways because they understood that God justified. Um, Anyway, that being said, we're going to have to wrap this up now, but let's kind of go back through what we know so far. We're at minute mark, uh, 31 minutes, seven seconds in a 45 minute message. So there's not a whole lot more that it would take for you guys to finish it. Again, link in the description below. Unfortunately, time-wise, I'm not going to be able to finish it today, but let's go over the three things. Did he read scripture? Yes, he did. He definitely read scripture. Two, did he work through that scripture uh, contextually, exegetically uh, to bring forth the truth of the scripture to apply it? uh yes and no like i'm so torn on this uh because there are parts that i think he did really really good at and then are there are parts that i think that um maybe could have been done a little bit better in regards to um sort of examining that a bit more um so it's a yes and no i there are parts and if you watch this review clearly you saw the parts i disagreed with that i think would do better so i'm gonna lean more toward the no because i think the parts that he didn't do a great job on those are pretty big problems that i saw there but he did you know when he talked about god giving us all things i thought that was a really good point that he made there so yes and no and two or three rather did he talk about the gospel of christ um yes and no also there he doesn't really mention sin a lot He doesn't mention the need to be reconciled to god he doesn't mention um so i guess no (laughs) i guess he did not because he he knows there's unbelievers there he 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 knows that he's talking about jesus but he never calls them to repentance and reconciliation and restoration in christ Um, he just leaves it as if you're in christ these are the things you get and he really did lean pretty heavily on there for a second like you should become a christian because you get all things in the end um so i'd say no didn't really present that in a way that was crystal clear again i I do want to be really clear as i wrap this up i don't think this was all bad uh and in fact i haven't finished it so maybe at the end he wraps it all around i don't want to prejudge him i'm just saying up to this point there's definitely been things that i think are good And then there are some very troubling things here as well. So, like, we need to parse that out. As pastors, hopefully we can learn from this. As congregants, hopefully we can watch this and say, okay, well, these are the things that were good. And these are the things I need to look for. And then these are the things that sounded good, but actually, underneath them, maybe there was, you know, there was some confusion there that needed to be worked out a little bit better so again as always i i i've I've stopped saying this at the beginning of these sermon reviews and i probably need to start saying it again just to clarify this isn't about if mark's the greatest pastor or the worst pastor in the world this is about looking at his sermon and saying what are the red flags or good things in this sermon And that's the important part. So this isn't about like checking off, hey, Mark's a good pastor, you should definitely listen to him. Or "Eh, no, you should definitely not listen to Mark. This is about saying, hey, this is what we need to really look for in sermons and the things that we need to say, is this there, is this isn't there, is this clear, is this not clear? So hopefully this did that for you. Hopefully this was a good tool for that. If you did like it, make sure you like it, share it, comment, all of the cool things. Guys, thank you for supporting us by watching this, by commenting, by maybe supporting the links below. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you next week.